Hello and welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week we're discussing chapters 13 through 18 of The Tyrant's Tomb. I'm not going to lie, these um, chapters kind of made me know. I feel because the way everyone was reacting and like a little bit of what Robert said of the fact that like Jason's death besides Mm -hmm. the ending of this series was like the big plot twist of the series. I'm a little comforted, but I am. I also know Rick is now apparently capable of murder. So I'm really nervous because they're really highlighting Frank in these chapters as somebody who is um i don't know someone who can be killed and would be break my heart specifically if he was killed yeah and so reading these chapters really made me nervous for him they really emphasized his little stick a lot in these chapters and like how he's a risk taker yeah and how hazel's really worried about him and yeah. how he's like he can't be scared because he has to go fight or whatever. And I was like, okay, yeah. I get it. But for me, please stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I agree with Hazel. Please stay indoors, away what from are, fire. Oh, what's the sound? Don't make don't uh, make any treacherous journeys. <laughs> don't cross the sea. <laughs> oh, everyone to Frank in this. Me in particular. Yeah. I like Frank. I feel like I forgot that I liked him. Yeah, I think also reading these, I was like, nice, Frank. Seeing him from Apollo's point of view, he's just like so soft and Apollo is Mm -hmm. also soft towards him. (laughs) It's true. And so it's it's a delight to read. So the same way, I think if I read Meg from like, for example, Leo's perspective, Meg Mm. would seem so annoying. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Leo liked Meg a little bit because he's also chaotic. But, like, imagine, like, Annabeth's perspective on Meg. Yeah. She probably would be like, this child is annoying and doesn't listen to me. And doesn't use logic. And yeah. so, like, I'd, Percy's the most she could take in the chaos level. That's true. And Meg is, like, three times that. So That's I feel true. Like, yeah, whereas Apollo is like, this is my child. I love her the most. Yeah. Apollo's adopted her. It's like the cat he found in the trash. He literally found her in the trash. Well, she found him in the, the trash. Dump. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He's the cat. He's the cat she's adopted. Yeah. He's more of like a really dumb Labrador. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Except this true. chapter that you're going to talk about where we kind of go into his past of Sybil. <laughs> I was reading yeah. that and cringing hard. Oh, it's so bad. Because like you know Apollo. it's cleaned up too for children. Exactly. And it's still not a good look for him. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, to summarize what we're going to talk about, we're going to head into the tyrant's tomb and find out that Apollo's wound is not healing in the way that we want it to be. I love a good zombie wound. <laughs> like it, the- I feel like it's a great tension building device in like zombie zombie shows, zombie books. I don't know the zombie genre. <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I don't the know. Undead I don't know. Jo- zon- genre. The undead genre. Yeah. Like the wound, and like the one character knows that it's getting worse, but it's like. I'm fine. Hiding it. But yeah. you're like, no, you're going to become a zombie. 
I never understood that. It's just like the person. I mean, I do after a whole COVID thing. I I now understand mm. it greatly and why yeah. people act the way they do. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was like, who would do that? Who would like not immediately be like, I've been bitten by a zombie, or like, okay, I've been bitten by a zombie. I need to separate from the group when it starts well, getting worse. A lot of people would would do that apparently. More than I'd like to think about, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Not only would they hide the bite, but they'd adamantly say that zombies don't exist. Mm-hmm. Or and then go to a theme park where there's full of flesh mm. and small children for them to yeah. feast on. Yes. Yeah. Oh, humanity. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've got chapters 13 through 15. So chapter 13. Romance disaster. I'm poison for guys and gals. You want to hang out? This is the rough look for Apollo chapter, so. Mm. Um, But we start off with Meg, Apollo, Lavinia, and Hazel are all, like, eating lunch together and plotting for their next quest. And it's really chaotic. I was thinking about this group of them is kind of like every group project. Or... Like, any trip you try to go on with friends. Like, Hazel's trying to plan everything, but it's, like, just kind of, like, muttering to herself. Apollo is, like, going through something. Like, there's always the one person who's going through something, and, yeah, like, no one really like, wants to touch really, it. Yeah, I can't really. I can't help. Yeah, I need yeah. to deal with my own crap. I'll just agree to whatever you guys do. Yeah. Just- can be helpful because at least they're not countering it, but it can be yeah. also be really frustrating because it's like, I would love another body in this planning yeah. process. Exactly. And then Lavinia and Meg together are very chaotic. And Lavinia is also the one who wants to go on a hike, you know? The one who's like, we're going to get up at 6 a.m. and go on a hike. Yeah, who sleeps on vacation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And Meg is the one who just like, you lose track of her all the time. You don't know yeah. where she is. But at the same time, you losing track of her isn't like, oh, she's going to do her own thing, like a independent coffee bookshop girl yeah. while mm-hmm. we're doing another activity. She's setting something on fire and she is a liability. Yeah. It's a liability to lose yeah. track of her. You don't want to lose track of her. Yeah. Exactly. I find this to be a fun group of, of, <laughs> of children. Yes. Um, and so... Hazel is trying to plan things. Apollo is just kind of like sitting there in his head, suffering emotionally and physically, as we know, because he has that bite that keeps getting worse or that it's not a bite. It's like a gash, a wound, a scratch. They all make a plan to go to the tomb in the evening since the carousel will be empty from children and such at that time. Apollo gets some time to rest before leaving, but he can't sleep. So instead, he's like, I'm going to lament for hours about Mm. all of the people who I've hurt. Honestly, relatable. I know, it really Mm. is. And he's like, he just chooses to think, you know, casually about how he's cursed everyone he's ever loved. And he specifically thinks about his memory with the Cumaean Sybil. So before she was the hunched, grizzled old woman from Tarquin's throne room, she was a beautiful young woman on the beach that Apollo was chasing after. And he, well, he had already, like, made her the Sybil, but that wasn't enough for Apollo. Apollo also wanted her to marry him, which I feel like is the, uh, the kid's book version mm-hmm. of have sex with him and yeah. have his children. Yeah. And she said no. Because she's like, no, I just, I wanted to be the Sybil. You made me the Sybil. We're good. I don't want to be immortal and I don't want to be your wife. 
Um, and they're kind of going back and forth a little bit. And she makes a hypothetical, like, as she's she's angry and she's, like, trying to express her feelings. Um, she picks up some handfuls of sand and she's like, do you really mean that, like, if I wished for as many years of life as there are grains of sand, you would grant me that and, like, still be interested in me? And he's immediately like, yep, done. And she's like, wait, no, I was not asking for that. I was being hypothetical and Just never having a conversation, dude. Like Apollo is so, this is so such a bad look for him. And Apollo, who is just blinded by love or lust, demands that she now, he's like, I just made you immortal. Like, it's done. Now you need to marry me. Mm. And um, she's like, no. And she says, now they're debating the contract that they've made up. And she's like, I'm going to defer my payment. At first, she's mad about being like, it's transactional. She's like, what am I just like? something like a prize you win or something you pay with. Um, But she defers her payment until his side of the bargain is done. So she says that when she has lived as long as all the grains of sand, as that's run out, if he still wants her, then she's his. Because she knows, she made the argument, she's like, you move on so fast, you're not going to want me in a week. Like, get over yourself. He'll probably have moved on to the next woman. And bitterly, he's like, fine. You can have a long life, but I won't grant you a long youth. So you're going to be old and gross and in pain, but you can't die ever. Um, Which doesn't sound great. No. (laughs) And so over the centuries, she withered and her body eventually crumbled away. All I can picture is in Spongebob, the chocolate lady. (laughs) You say chocolate in the little wheelchair. Yeah. I remember chocolate. (laughs) I always hated it. (laughs) That's the vibe that she's giving off right now. But she's Um, in a little jar, isn't she? Yeah, she is in a jar. She goes even... That's where that lady was heading. Yeah. Because her her body does fully crumble away, but her spirit still lingers or her soul, and it's kept in a jar by, like, her attendants, and she can't die. And Apollo had always assumed that the jar was lost, that she was gone. But now he's like, I don't know. I keep thinking of her. Also, this whole business with Tarquin, like she's clearly still around. And upon reflecting on this memory, he realizes finally, like it just now hits him that he was the problem. He's like, (laughs) oh, I really fucked that one up. (laughs) Which is really bad. He's like only just now looking in the mirror with that one. And he is now afraid also because of his Im- immediate feelings for Reyna, which like, ugh, gag, um, may, he's afraid of how that may pan out for Reyna since everyone he has ever loved does indeed get cursed. Rough. Maybe if he like was a better person, they wouldn't get cursed, but you know, Probably. to each their own. Yeah, I think like he might be the problem. He's mm. the the common denominator between all of these curses, and I'm glad he's coming to terms with that. So chapter 14, reluctant arrow, grant me this boon, permission to skedaddle it. God. I don't know if I can, I can't say that word without laughing. Unable to sleep, Apollo gets up and seeks advice from our favorite, the arrow. Because according to Lupa, he recalls how she told him that he's supposed to save the day somehow, but he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He feels pretty helpless, so he turns to his trusty arrow. 
He asks the arrow what to do, to which it says, I shall think upon this. And I was like, it's definitely Googling. No, I know. It's like, what should Apollo ask in chat GPT? What should I do? It needs a little bit more context. (laughs) The arrow then takes a moment and then tells Apollo that the journey to the tomb will not be the final challenge and that he must fight not the king. Hearest thou what thou needest and skedaddleth. So uh, this really deep conversation with the hero is then interrupted by Frank, who's out walking Hannibal the elephant. I had a moment here where I was like, does he turn into an elephant ever when he hangs out with the elephant and they could like play? And hang out and exercise. It's a great way to like, you know, you get your dog to exercise by turning into a dog and playing with them at the dog park. That'd be so fun. It'd be really fun. And, like, I don't think I'd get as tired because I'd have two legs to carry me instead of – or I'd have four legs instead of two. Yeah, and dogs in general, I feel like – I feel like I'm in a decent human shape. I feel like that will translate well to my dog body unless It'll I get my good. human strength as a dog, which actually would make me a pretty weak dog. Yeah, especially, like, your bite strength. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point like, of that? You drop all the balls that you try to pick <laughs> up. <laughs> I just wonder if Frank can, like, talk to other animals as he's an animal. I forgot. We forgot to talk about it. But last uh, set of chapters, Apollo has a moment where he's wondering how the hell Frank turned into bees. Oh, yeah. And I thought yeah, of you. We wondered about that. Well, I really wondered about that. <laughs> well, I'm glad that Rick's, like, aware, you know? Yeah. He's and aware Apollo- of the questions he's created. But it's also, like, from the lens of Apollo, like, all these demigods, instead of being like, how does that happen? And, like, trying to research it, they're like, things are strange and magic shouldn't be questioned and, like, moved on. Yeah. 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 That's the go-to answer when Rick does not want to tell us Mm -hmm. an answer. He definitely had, like, a child, like, write him a letter and just being like, what the fuck, man? And he just was like, I have to answer it, but I don't want to. It was me. I'm the child. Mm -hmm. I just wrote him a letter like, why are there bees? (laughs) Where is Frank's consciousness? So him and Frank talk a bit about the quest and their worries. Apollo mentions how Hazel had seemed really concerned for Frank. And he asks about Frank's stick, which Frank is much more flippant about than he used to be, which like Apollo doesn't really know as much, but we know as readers how he used to be so scared to even touch it. And he just like pulls it out of the pouch. He flips it in the air and is like this here thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hazel, he he's like, Hazel thinks I'm too reckless that the, st- the stick should be locked up somewhere safer, but I like to keep it on me. And I also like to charge into battle. And he's like, He's just a lot chiller than how we last saw him. And Frank doesn't want to let fear hold him back. Then Lavinia, Hazel, and Meg show up to begin their journey to the carousel. Chapter 15. Nightmare Carousel. Totally let your kids ride. I'm sure they'll be fine. (laughs) Apollo has a rough time hiking up to the carousel. He still has the gut wound from the zombies, and though he's been telling everyone and also himself that it's fine, he's starting to doubt that finally. Hazel asks Apollo if he can recall any of Tarquin's weaknesses, and he senses also, he notes to himself, that he can tell that Hazel's asking more to keep Apollo's mind off of things than because she actually cares, which is very self-aware of Apollo to notice. 
Um, but he shares that Tarquin was power mad, arrogant, and violent, which is kind of the usual for the emperors. But his fun quirk was that he really liked to build things. <laughs> he played with Legos. <laughs> Engineering man in STEM. Yeah. He was a man in STEM. Mm. He started the Temple of Jupiter and Rome's main sewer system also. He was also really smart and sly. They finally make it up the hill and spy the carousel, and it's all lit up, still and silent. And Apollo notes that the animals look super creepy in the evening. They all kind of look like they're scared or they're attacking, and the place seems empty. Meg senses that something is wrong with the soil, that the plants don't want to grow too deep. Hazel then presses her palm against the concrete of the carousel and can sense a massive complex of tunnels beneath them. She can also sense that it's full of death, but in a different way than the underworld is. In a worse way, she says. Hazel finds where the entrance is, where they know they're supposed to write something, per the prophecy that said, to open his door, 254. Apollo says that they must write this as a date in Roman numerals. The numbers glow silver, and then the stone disappears into smoke, revealing steps leading down into the darkness. Hazel talking to Apollo while he hikes is very much like relatable whenever I exercise with friends. I, if I have a like see like a tall hill that opposite though because if I'm like running and I see a hill we're going to go on or like hiking and there's a hill like a sharp incline I'll ask them a question that they need to answer so someone else is talking and talking <laughs> at me to keep me distracted but I'm not having to talk and walk at the same time so I feel like it's the opposite vibe. Mm. It's the selfish version. It's the selfish version. <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's what Hazel was doing. We don't know. Yeah, she's actually out of breath and she just wants Apollo to chat. Yeah, she's like, distract me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Um, from my notes, I did think that the background, there was some background like Hazel and Frank moments in these chapters that I actually found very cute. Um, like there's a point right before they leave where Hazel's like, can I talk to you for a minute, Frank? And they like go and they're like clear Apollo. They can't hear them, but Apollo is like pretty sure they're just back and forth being like, you be careful. No, mm-hmm. you be careful. And I thought that was really cute. And I forgot that I actually liked them together. I think now that their ages have been adjusted. Yes. And Leo's like not there to yeah, be like, I look weird. like my grandpa. <laughs> And you were in love with my grandpa. Let's make this weirdly confusing and all about me for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And then I also found it... The the, res, the explanation for Hazel's metal curse, I think, is kind of lacking on Rick's part. Like, I loved her curse of how it was, like, really tragic and badass. How everything she made, all the, like, jewels and gems she made come up from the earth would curse people and it was such a big plot point in son of neptune but she says and i mean we kind of this was touched on a little bit in the last series about how um there pluto told her that a descendant of poseidon would wash away her curse and she's like i guess that was frank once we started dating this stopped being a problem and i'm like that feels so i also liked her curse i thought it was cool I mean, I guess, like, it it caused trauma and stuff, but I thought it was cool. I think it's a good, like, over, 
hanging first of all plot point but also like there has to be something i mean right now the only thing that's stopping her from like spending all of the jewels that she pulls out of the earth is she doesn't want she's like it just doesn't feel right like her own morals are stopping her but the idea that like a curse like if someone like captured her and was using her for her jewels i love the idea that they would immediately get cursed like it's such an interesting roundabout and it should be if someone you know great power comes great responsibility and so it should be her responsibility not to let people spend the jewels that she brings up Mm. and like love fixed it and so now she can become a millionaire if she wanted to it's kind of lame but she doesn't want to because she's too good of a person yeah i'm like okay (sighs) fine this is a children's book so that makes sense yeah. I guess. I just want to pretend that she still has the cool curse because I think it's neat. <laughs> it's a cool <laughs> it's a cool to be cursed these days. Yeah, curses are in, actually. Alright, I have chapter 16 through 18. Chapter 16. Meet the new Tarquin, same as the old Tarquin, but with a lot less flesh. Mm. Apollos, I know, like what a look for him. Mm, Apollo silently follows Hazel down the steps of the tome she's just opened. As they walk through the corridor underground, Apollo notices a bunch of plaster death masks, but they're frozen in fear, probably in the way that the person who was wearing them died. So it's not a great entrance for him. It's they, like the Pompeii, how there's people like frozen, how they die. Yeah, but like these are specific death masks. So I don't. Made. What is a death mask? Is it like Out like a Halloween play? mask? Kind of. I think it's supposed to be like a realistic. Like I, I imagine the in Game of Thrones. Remember there was like the wall of faces. Oh, so like a oh oh this is a thing. I'm googling a death mask. Oh, these are creepy. Yeah, it does seem like the things in the game in Game of Thrones. Uh, it's a. A likeness typically in wax or plaster cast of a person's face after their death, usually made by taking a cast or impression from the corpse. They were used as mementos of the dead. Spooky. Hmm. The Middle Ages were weird. I know. They're like, hey, do you miss your boyfriend? Here's his face as he was dying. (laughs) He looks terrified. They're like, what happened? (laughs) It was a peaceful death. (laughs) It was a really peaceful death. So the gang take a few different tunnels, and after what seems like hours to Apollo, they make their way to a circular room with a dark, large pool and half a dozen wicker baskets hung up. Apollo remembers a story about Tarquin, how he executed one of his enemies by binding this enemy's hands, placing this wicker cage basket over his head, and slowly adding rocks into the cage until it became heavy enough or the man just got tired of holding his head up and he drowned damn very creative but also (laughs) kind of not creative because it's kind of like at that point just like tie rocks to his feet like why do you need to like i guess it's like you see the the effort of trying to like continue to tread water in the i don't know it feels like a mental thing like they can like watch the rocks they, they watch the wicker basket get heavier, too. Yeah. It feels like something someone would do on The Sims. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With the pool. The pool. So they add a wicker cage to their head to yeah. make it sure that they die instead of just deleting yeah. the ladder. Yeah. It's like when you build a wall around the pool, too, in addition to the ladder. Because, <laughs> like, Sims, Sim, the newest Sims, Sims 4, they can climb out of the pool now. 
Yeah. Without I'm, a ladder. I was trying to kill a sim yesterday and I was like mm-hmm. trying to catch, like have her cook and catch fire. But when they stop cooking, they, they turn off the stove. And I was oh, like, they're smarter like, now. It makes it harder to kill them. Yeah. You have to really try now. Um, something that, uh, I don't know if we've talked about on this podcast is Aaron and I, and a couple of our friends in high school made, uh, made ourselves in Sims and then made like this death trap, like (laughs) roomscape. And then we just let them run wild. And we essentially played the hunger games with our Sims. Who won? Do you remember who won that? I do. Was it you? No, it was the random. Remember we made all of us and then we put a random, like, creature person we made them like green or something oh we made and that was who won (laughs) (laughs) i have no memory of that i just remember doing i think we named it like gertrude or something like that (laughs) that seemed like us (laughs) yeah but i just remember the one who won was not us i remember mine glitched and i got stuck in a hole I think mine caught on fire or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. Typical. I like. I went to go help one of our friends Sims who was on fire, and I caught oh, on. Oh, and fire. you caught on fire too. Yeah, it was something nice. really annoying. It wasn't even yeah. noble or cool. Yeah. It was pretty lame. Oh. Anyway, um, <laughs> just bef- again. <laughs> yeah, we should. It's a fun idea, especially now that they're smarter Sims. Yeah, <laughs> it takes like five days long. <laughs> They're all just going to die of hunger at that point. Yeah, yeah. So just before they reach the next chamber, Hazel notices two skeleton guards. Using her Pluto powers, she essentially drives them away. Everyone's like, how did you do that? But there's no talking. They're trying to be silent. So she shushes them and (laughs) leads the group up a staircase to a balcony overlooking the other chamber with a skeleton railing. Everyone lies flat on their bellies and observes below. Tarquin is holding court. So Tarkin, or whatever is left of him, is sitting on his own coffin, which is pretty badass. His body is a withered black skeleton, and his skeleton is lit up with a purple light of some sort. It looks like that's what's keeping him alive. Apollo kind of guesses that it's his um, soul, but he's like, I don't think Tarquin ever had a soul. So who knows what that light is, what magic that is. Uh, Aaron is like lightly giggling at the Skeletor (laughs) photo I have added to our notes. I just like scrolled down and was like, what? So I was trying to remember, there is like so many images of like a, but specifically a cartoon, I can't remember what it was, of like a skeleton who has like purple hair flames. Yeah. And I can't remember, I like Googled it. A Skeletor came up and I did, uh, I don't know if you watched the 1983 He-Man TV show. I didn't, oddly Uh, enough. (laughs) But I I know the image. I recognize him. I watched all of it. So like my cousins in India, like everything when I was growing up, at least now it's not the case. But back then, um, things were a little delayed getting to India. Mm. And so when I went over, my cousins were watching Skeletor, like He-Man. And so I've seen all of it. And it's really bad. (laughs) Not going to lie. Especially this night. It's a really old animation style, low budget Mm. But Skeletor also has purple glowing eyes. He's also the funniest villain I have ever seen. He looks like a fun time. He does. Looking at other pictures of him, he has like a little stick with a horse horse skeleton on it or something. I don't know. 
All right. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> so the zombie skeletons that Hazel had sent away have come to Tarquin thinking that he had called for them. He sends them back to their post and calls for his right-hand man zombie, Calius. Calius is a cross between a proper British general and this brainless zombie who screams for flesh. He has to keep slapping himself to get control. In the middle of his like posh British accent and talking, he'll suddenly... Um, mention that he'd scream flesh feed me <laughs> and it's quite funny he tells tarquin that they are ready for the attack and that camp jupiter is completely unaware that they are on their way he also assures tarquin that the silent one is well guarded but tarquin asks for one more flock to be added to the guard tarquin then hears something from the balcony and calls on the four to come down and join him at his court mm. Chapter 17, Meg, don't you dare, Meg, or you could just get us killed. Yeah, sure, that works too. <laughs> Hazel signals the others to quietly crawl away, but Meg decides to stand up on the balcony edge and jump down to fight the army of the undead herself. Apollo reacts by knocking his bow and arrow and rapidly firing into the army to aid her. Hazel draws her sword and joins Meg into battle while Lavinia struggles to get her manubalista uncovered to join. So I... So chaotic. So chaotic. I was so curious because I know that a ballista is like pretty large. It's like a mini cannon. And so I looked up what like this looks like. They even have like a drawing of Lavinia and the contraption she's carrying is like half her body size. Yeah. It does. Why seem like is this her smartest choice? choice? Yeah, she she. I think she's like emotionally attached to it or something. It's part of her whole vibe, I guess. I guess where she's like, this looks punk, and she's never able to fire it. <laughs> she gets like one shot. <laughs> yeah, and it always misses. It's not super <laughs> useful. Apollo runs out of arrows, and he only has the arrow of Dodonna left, which he refuses to give over to Tarquin. He thinks about the um, repercussions of Tarquin like being able to then use the prophetic arrow to his own uses. Like Clearly, that wouldn't end well. Meg and Hazel manage to cut down all of Tarquin's minions, but as a result, he actually respond- he's responds by applauding like a true villain. Mm, I love that. I love I, when villains clap. I know. You're like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. what tricks do you have also you know that they're they're here for like the, the theatrics of it all which exactly. I respect yeah. yeah with a flick of his hand he sends Meg crashing into a wall and Hazel into another Apollo jumps down from the balcony to come to their aid Hazel tells everyone to back up she's like back up you guys I'm gonna use my powers to collapse the wall <laughs> but Tarquin laughs like, at her again which is again super theatrical very demeaning mm-hmm. He's like, this is my land. Like, I'm the boss here. Hazel asks if they should fight or run. But as a response, Tarquin accesses the poison that's apparently Apollo's gut wound. It brings Apollo to his knees and he starts screaming. Meg charges at Tarquin again, but is tossed aside again. Apollo can't believe that he's still alive with the amount of pain that he's feeling. He begs everyone else to get out of there and to leave him to die. But obviously they won't leave him. They're heroic people. Mm. Tarquin tells him that uh, he hopes the Sybil lasts long enough to see Apollo humbled. Maybe it'll be the thing that finally breaks her. Hazel howls and causes uh, the back wall to collapse and fall on Tarquin and now his reinforcements who have flooded the court. Lavinia and Meg drag Apollo to his feet and the group books it out of the chamber before Tarquin can unearth himself. 
Paolo is half conscious from the pain and they make it to where the exit is supposed to be, but Hazel can't really access it. Meg calls on her trees to use their roots to essentially open the ground up and the group scurry outside. Lavinia knows where they are thanks to all of her hiking and they start making their way back to camp. So none of the ghouls have managed to scratch or hurt the girls, but Hazel can sense about a dozen of them following them from behind. Lavinia tells them that she will draw them away and Hazel and Meg get Apollo back to camp. They may be nervous because in the next chapter they don't mention Lavinia again. And also, um, we saw how her firing skills are. They're not great. <laughs> She's going to take too long to just like wind up the... I know. <laughs> I have to hand crank this. Give me a second. Chapter 18. Cooking with Pranjal, chickweed and unicorn horn, slow basted zombie. Mm. Apollo thinks about the term home. He's never had a home that was his before. He's like, oh, so model, so much monologuing for a home. You know, I love that they're like escaping these zombies and he's like, home. What does that I've mean? I've never had a home. <laughs> this stove is not a home. <laughs> it's a just a greasy spoon. Not <laughs> a SpongeBob today. You know, we're going yeah. back to our roots. Our roots, bringing it back. The island he was born isn't really a place he lived at, and he didn't stay long in his palaces on Mount Olympus. And the Palace of the Sun used to be Helios's, so he never really felt like it was his. Even Delphi used to belong to Python, and that always haunted him. Like, he's like, the smell of Python still lingered even after Python was defeated. The times he actually felt at home were at Camp Half-Blood, eating dinner with his children, or the way station with Emmy, Joe, Georgina, Leo, and Calypso, or even in Palm Springs with Grover, Meg, and all the dryads. He even considers now at Camp Jupiter more at home than he's ever felt, even though all the Romans are like half dead and half scared to death too. He dreams of the idea of home, but his dream quickly changes into a nightmare as he finds himself at the cavern of Delphi and is taunted by the voice of Python. So Python is a, like a Komodo dragon? Upsetting. With not a know. fucking python? <laughs> Should be a python. I guess I like I know maybe like Rick wants to give him I don't know if it's Rick or if it's I don't want to look anything up in case like, so the first thing that usually pops up is Rick Riordan wiki and I don't want to click on that obviously. But I'm yeah. wondering if it mythologically Python also had arms and legs or if that's something that Rick added to make him like seem scarier as he's like crawling towards them instead of just like, you know, wiggling on his little belly over to Apollo to taunt him. It looks like mythologically he did have legs based on Wikipedia. Interesting. So that he was like, wasn't even like a Python. No, but like isn't, aren't Pythons named after him? Maybe they are. Why why they name that? Hmm. Hmm. I'm just gonna I'm gonna look up regular pythons. Where to see which one came first, yeah. Python, not the coding language. Uh Python is Snake. It's a genius of snakes. The name Python was proposed in 1803, so 100% the Python came after Python. Interesting. Hmm. Just some dude didn't, didn't properly read or look, look at the pictures and was like, that Maybe it's because it's, like, like scary. Like, because a Python snake is a little scarier than a Komodo dragon. So they were like, let's pick a 
big enemy from ancient Greek mythology. Maybe our when did Komodo dragon oh, yeah. get discovered? It says the word python is derived from the Latin word python and the Greek word in Greek, both referring to the serpent slain who was fabled to have been called Pythias in commemoration of his victory near Delphi by Apollo, according to the myth. So, yeah, it was named after the serpent. Well, like, Komodo dragons, <laughs> dragons weren't even documented until 1910. No. So, which is like relatively recent. Okay, we are going way off track here. I'm so sorry. I just find Komodo, I find the snake scarier than a Komodo dragon. Yeah. Komodo dragons are kind of cute. They're kind of cute, even though I think they're supposed to be venomous, but still mm. adorable. Wow. So are slow lorises. They're venomous. That's true. Imagine this was just replaced cute. by a slow loris. A slow loris? <laughs> Apollo's like shitting that. himself on a slow loris exits His the big cavern. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's see. Do, 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 do. Something about its its legs, its feet. Does it have toes? <laughs> Little clip. Definitely Can have they claws. paint its nails? Oh my God. That'd be so cute. Bonding moment. Him and, uh, and Caligula. No, Commodus. Uh, Caligula's into fashion. He was into fashion. Nero yeah. is not into fashion. No. Commodus would ha- would have basketballs there. <laughs> he would and have ostriches. given armor for something. The teeth. He yeah. was like, "Do you need more teeth?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Python walks up to him because he's got legs and taunts him about his impending doom and death. And so Apollo wakes up yelling. Apollo finds himself with Meg in the unicorn stable. So basically, Meg has been grating unicorn horn directly from the source and using it to heal his wound. Buster the unicorn doesn't seem to mind very much. He doesn't give a shit. He's just like looking at Apollo unblinkingly. (laughs) Apollo meets Prinjal, the healer for the legion. He says that normally a ghoul wound is curable if healed within 24 hours. But since Apollo is part immortal slash god... And not in the same way that they're all part immortal, in a different, more unique way. It actually may be different. Right now, they can just slow down the poison and stop him from turning into a zombie slowly, but they can't cure him completely. Pranjal essentially has created a new kind of antibiotic with Meg's help, which I thought was kind of cool. It's like a very broad-reaching antibiotic using a, a plant that doesn't exist in this area, but Meg can conjure up and grow. Nice. And so that's been seeming to help Apollo a little bit. He thinks Apollo, that if Apollo wants to be cured, he will need a godly help, which is kind of out of the question at the moment. Pranjal tells Apollo to go for a walk and meet up with Frank and Reina, who are anxious to speak with him. So Meg takes Apollo to get showered and changed and fed before taking him to the Legion headquarters. Frank is dressed for battle, whereas Le- Rih- Rihanna. <laughs> Rihanna's there. Rihanna. Rihanna, is that you? Frank is dressed for battle, and Reyna looks like she's just woken up. She has her two dogs, and you have your two dogs. I sure do. <laughs> so Reyna has her two dogs at her feet, and she feeds them jelly beans to calm them down. They're poring over maps and books, and they tell Meg and Apollo to sit down. They've been making progress with Ella and Tyson on the Sibylline books and think they found a recipe that could summon divine aid to the camp. There is a catch, however. The ritual requires a sacrifice, specifically a divine sacrifice. 
This means that they would have to have a god die. Which seems counterintuitive since they need a god's help. So if they yeah. kill the first god they see anyway. Hmm. Maybe the god helps them and then they kill it. Yeah. Transactional. <laughs> <laughs> a little murder for fun. You know, for fun. Um, so my notes, I did like that, like, because it's Apollo's point of view, like you could I feel like in other people's point of view, especially to be fair, Percy in the Heroes of Olympus was a little bit more irritated, right? And so, yeah. Um, if he like he was in this position, I think he would have scolded Meg and like been like, yeah. "What did you like? What did you think? Did you want this to happen? Like just because you wanted to be brave?" But Apollo mm. notices also because he loves and is very soft towards Meg. He notices he's Meg upset that Apollo is the one who's suffering, and he's like, he doesn't bring it up. He doesn't say, "I told you so" or anything like that. He says like. Oh, if I said that, it looked like she would just burst into tears. So like, that was not something mm-hmm. he wanted to do. Um, and he's like, I'm the only one who suffered, so it's fine. Um, I have a couple of predictions. I think mm. the god of silence is the one who's going to have to die to be sacrificed. I don't know what that means. I don't know who that could be. It's really making me frustrated that I don't <laughs> have, like, I can't, google things because that's how i usually like reading like historical fiction or mythological based books because i think it's really fun to do that but i'm trying my best it's making me crazy but it's fine (laughs) um i do like the python it kind of was a throwback or a callback to chronos haunting percy's dream back dreams Mm. back in pjo where it's kind of almost as a faceless monster from the depths of some kind of Either cavern or, like, crack in the floor, Tartarus to be specific. That is just, like, his voice is just booming and constantly telling Percy he's worthless. And I was like, He may be faceless, but he's not legless. He's not legless. He has legs. I do not like that. I, like, read it three, like, that sentence. It was like, oh, like, imagine, like, a giant Komodo dragon. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is the snake. (laughs) You're like, you're wrong. Um, Tarquin definitely has the Sybil captured and is torturing to get the books out of her. And Apollo's going to get his, like, quote-unquote redemption by saving her. And it's going to be kind Mm. of frustrating, but it's fine. Mm. It has to happen. Like, we need, if, if, if Rick is going to bring this point up, we need, in order to like Apollo again, not that I dislike him, but, like, to feel a little bit more like I can root for him as a, fully as a hero, he needs to have some kind of redemption and feeling sorry and doing something to help save her and she has to forgive him yeah yeah it honestly is like a testament to to rick's like characterization that we still are rooting for apollo even i mean he's not using the less child friendly versions of the myths yeah i think that would be a much harder task to make a reader empathize with with the god but even like, in a lot of the his godly memories, he doesn't look like the good guy, but Rick is still somehow making us overall, like, root for him to become a better person and yeah. to, like, succeed in his quest. We're not necessarily like, wow, we love him, he's the best, but we're, like, hoping he does the right thing or enjoying watching him learn about morality. Yeah, I think that I think that's the big thing is watching him learn about morality is very interesting because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. even in these chapters he's like very frustrated the amount of guilt 
the mortal soul feels because yeah. he's like, I've never experienced that. And he's like, there's no off button. So he's just constantly haunted by things his godly self did that he never felt guilt before for. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yikes. Yikes. Ready for some lightning bolt questions? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like I, I think went, we went on a different, like last episode, we were on one kind of vibe. We were on a different kind of vibe this episode. <laughs> really different energy because my first question that I came up with. Um, would you rather mentally live forever while your physical state withers or physically live forever while your mental state withers? Ooh, that's frustrating. So in my head, like the two options are kind of like equating to like, I mean, thinking of like when you're older, like an elderly person, Mm -hmm. um, the first one is you have a stroke and Mm. you can't function some parts of your body anymore in the same way, but your mind is still, I mean, not maybe not a stroke, but like in this Mm initial situation, there are some situations where your mind is still sharp. Yeah. You're like the chocolate lady. Like you can't. (laughs) You're like just a a, a little fish. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Or even like but you, you just you don't still have... remember chocolate. Yes, you still remember things, and you know, can uh, you know what you want. You just can't yeah. physically get yourself to do it, what you want to, and then physically live forever while your mental state withers is a little bit like Alzheimer's dementia, mm-hmm. except like at a young age or something. Yeah, like that. at a younger yeah. age. Um personally i think maybe my physical my mental oh i don't know because like physical state withering there's like feels like maybe there's like a time period that you might you know expire Mm -hmm. whereas physically live forever while your mental state withered at least you're not aware that you're that's true so maybe i do the second one because i don't want to be aware i think the beginning would be really scary and frustrating because you're not fully gone but you feel yourself going that would yeah. be really hard i know that's like a lot of people say is that the, the scariest part of dementia and alzheimer's is like in the beginning stages when you feel yourself forgetting yeah yeah the that be that is what scares me i i feel like i might lean towards the first option but i'm not sure i feel like 10 years ago i would have 100 percent said the first option but now that i have a lot more like chronic pain issues i'm like I don't want to be. I don't want to be stuck in this this body to continue aging. Yeah, but I like. I'm so also very scared of uh, like mentally not being all there. Mm. <laughs> like it's already not there. No, but like the idea of like forgetting things a lot and yeah. like not really knowing where I am or knowing who I'm with that scares me. So I feel like I might lean a little more towards the other one. But then I'd have to, like, be fully conscious while my body was deteriorating. Yeah. And then there's also that frustration of not being able to do things for yourself that you used to be able to do. Whereas in the second option, you don't really remember what you used to do, but you can still do it. Yeah. Um, Like, you could physically still go places. You just might not know where you're going. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, aging. (laughs) Super fun. It's beautiful. All right, so I saw your question. So my <laughs> my question's kind of in the same uh, vibe. Do you think people are truly redeemable? <laughs> um, honestly, yeah, I think I do. Elaborate. <laughs> I don't know because I'm trying to think of certain like 
I'm trying to think of like the worst things people can do that are not redeemable. Um, but I feel like it's hard to make like a blanket statement because there's so, so much of it is contextual, you know, mm -hmm. like, I'm just like, oh, like if someone murdered someone, but then it's like, I don't know. I've seen like people who maybe like, are in a gang when they're really young and are like coerced into doing that and like i'd like to believe that like if they go to like get help they can be a better person i i think i don't know if redeemable is the right word but i think people can become better yeah but i think there are probably some things that like if they're redeemed like in the eyes of who like me personally <laughs> like god, <laughs> god like, humanity as a whole, like, there are a lot of things that people do that, like, I personally would be like, nope, but someone else would be like, wow, you're better now. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, for me, I think it's about choices. So if mm -hmm. there's, like, certain levels, if you continue choosing things that hurt other people, I think your chance of being redeemed or chance of being a morally good person, like, it's almost like a, like, video game, you lose points. <laughs> and then after a certain point, like, it's so hard for you to gain points again, especially because mm -hmm. the human life isn't that long. And so the amount of harm you've done is going to outweigh whatever good you try to do later in life. And I always wonder, like, motive is also a big thing. Like, why are you trying to do good? Have you learned and realized what you did was bad? Or is yeah. it like you have this fear of, like, a lot of people have fear of death. And so they... And if they believe in some kind of afterlife, they want to do better mm -hmm. before they die in a chance to do whatever they need to do to get into whatever kind of afterlife they want to do. And so that is also kind of like, oh, you didn't care about the people until it was affecting you and your chances of, of whatever life yeah. you after. And that's also, I think, a factor. So I think truly redeemable, there are things that are unforgivable, especially from my point of view and morally in like most human contexts I would say are like unforgivable but um I think it's about the the amount of choices like the steps leading there yeah yeah contextually is correct that is a good point Maggie thinks that the dogs walking by outside are not redeemable no they actually Ever. are forgivable death For sentence existing. immediately yeah immediately walking by your house it also, oh, it, what you were saying made me think of two in the good place. They had that question of like, if you're only doing good things because you think you're getting points or because, you know, you think it'll get you into heaven, is it actually good? Yeah. And I mean, I know like philosophers have also asked that, but um, I just think of that conversation where I'm like, I don't know, because it's like, you're still doing good in the world. Yeah. But like the motive behind it, I don't know. How important yeah. is motive in that situation is the question, I guess. Yeah. And I think, like, with redeem, I'm like, there are certain things people can do that I'm like, I don't think that's redeemable in my mind. But at the same time, I don't think that means that that person should just give up on being, on, it, on bettering themselves. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's, like, they will never, that like, I very much am, like, believe in, like, rehabilitation and, like, helping people get better and like even if they get better it still might not make up for the thing they did yeah like but the like act it doesn't mean it's not worth it 
yeah, the act itself was unforgivable, but now mm-hmm. you were trying to be as a whole person, make yourself a better person, a better version of whatever, because that version of you that did that act was not your best. And so how can we get from there <laughs> to here? Yeah. 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 Oof. Mm. Obviously, people have who have different experiences with, yeah, uh, with it and dealing with people who have might might have been you know cruel or unforgivable, whatever version that is, uh, have a different opinion. But it's a good it's a good debate to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super interesting, and I'm like, I feel like you can't be, even though people are like, you know, try to have very unbiased debates about these types of things. I'm like, I feel like you can't be because I think you're gonna project like. Like the types of things that I think of that I'm like, that's not redeemable are probably different for a different person. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's like things, it's different when like the thing happens to you. Yeah. Or the thing happens to someone like you, you know. Yeah. And it's different from what you grew up as being your morals and what Mm. you, like everyone has a different set of morals that they live by. Mostly there's some universal morals. But some things, there are light differences. That something that you think yeah. is unforgivable might be something that's completely fine to somebody else. Yeah. Mm. yeah. What a fun, lighthearted question. Yeah. I was like, you know, last episode we were silly, goofy girls. Let's that's <laughs> true. completely 360. Let's well, not, we can still be a little silly, goofy because of the legs of the Komodo dragon. <laughs> Python's legs. Python's legs. Do you think he works out? Thank you. Yeah. Does he have arms Definitely. or like, just legs? Like, what does he legs? do in there? Uh, the image of Python looks like it has both. Okay, so it's like four. Yeah. I was thinking of just like two hind legs. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's or worse. two front hands, like a T-Rex. Oh, oh that's kind of fun. <laughs> kind of fun. If he was like, this is my cavern now, I'd be like, take it. You're so cute. <laughs> you little guy. I know. Little Komodo He's dragon. just a little guy. <laughs> He may be like giant. But yeah, but he, at the end of the day, when he has little hands, he's just a little he's got guy. Little hands, yeah, just a little dude. <laughs> we would not survive Jurassic Park. <laughs> no, not. Oh no. Mm-mm. We'd be like, this is just a little dude, and then we eat and our it face. spits poison at yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this question was emailed to me. Uh, they asked it to be called hello dot hi. Um, if it. you two went to Greece or Rome, where would you go to leave a message for the other, like Jason did oh. for Anna? I feel like I don't know a lot of, like, place. I've never been to Greece slash Rome, so I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, the Colosseum? No, that's basic. Hmm. I feel like I would try to, like, climb Mount Vesuvius mm. and leave a message there more or less so I could be like enjoy your little hike because you like hiking yeah I do like hiking I feel like I'd (laughs) I'd leave you a message at one of the airbnbs we've saved in Greece (laughs) (laughs) that we were like really trying to go to I'd leave it there there and be like a 14 person airbnb a 14 person airbnb you have to you have to get 14 people to all agree (laughs) To go <laughs> and on then the plan the trip to see yes. the message as know? an adult. Yeah, spend yeah. the money, get to Greece, and it's gonna be one of the islands too. So then you have to get yeah. a boat to go to the island. Yeah, and the message is just like hi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fun question. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, 
All right. Well, next week we'll be back with chapters 19 through 24 of the Tyrant's Tomb. Already making our way. I think that's about about halfway. I would I say. Think so, yeah. which is really wild. Just I feel like we just started this. through. I know. Mm-hmm. Despite being a pretty thick book, it's going by fast. Mm. If you are interested in supporting us, you can find our Patreon link in the episode description, as well as a link to send us an audio message. Our social media is Camp Half Pod, and our email is camphalfpod at gmail.com. You can message us on either to join our Discord. Also, I've been loving the, first of all, the, the pictures of your pets. That's been yeah. so much fun for me. On we my must emails. have said that on an I episode recently. I think we did because it's been happening. <laughs> and I am so happy. They make me so happy. But also, you guys have been sending some amazing fan art to us. Oh my gosh, so, yes. If you will, we are always really excited to post your fan art on social media. But if you don't want that, um, I'll always ask permission before I post it. But if you want to speed up the process, just in the email, say, feel free to post it and include a username you want to be tagged in on Instagram. Mm -hmm. If you want it just for our eyes, say it's just for you. If you don't want to be tagged at all, you want it to be anonymous. We also really love that. We just want to show the art that you guys made because you guys are all talented. You guys are so, yeah, so fun. So much so fun. So fun and creative. I love it. Percy Jackson fans are the best. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, don't forget to rate and review wherever you're listening to us as well. Tell us why you're the best Percy Jackson <laughs> fan of them all. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.